Peter had walked on water. Maybe you remember that account, how the disciples were frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. They had been stopped in the middle of the sea because of the wind and the waves. And Jesus came, walking on top of those waves, cutting through the wind. They thought they had seen a ghost, and Jesus said that it was him. And Peter said, Jesus, if it's really you, I want to walk on the water also. And then he did. And there's a lot more to that account. There's a lot more to that story. But it gives us an idea about Peter. How he really was one of the more fascinating among Jesus' disciples, at least from what we know of him in Scripture. He was so often out in front of the others. He did things or he said things, sometimes on behalf of all the disciples, and sometimes, it seems, without really thinking them all the way through. So it maybe shouldn't surprise us to see Peter in the spotlight as we come to another of our crucial hours as we consider it this evening. Now, don't be confused if you're looking at the sermon text printed in your worship folders. It doesn't say Peter there, but it's the same man. Peter also went by the name Simon, the name Jesus calls him here. That was the name his father had given him. The Peter who walked on water is the same person that Jesus addresses in these verses from Luke 22. These verses come from the account of what happened on the night we call Maundy Thursday. As Jesus and his disciples were gathered together in the upper room as they were celebrating the Passover together, we read that account already a few weeks ago in our Passion History readings. That night, that evening, Jesus was teaching his disciples many things. And at the appropriate place in the evening, well, listen to what these verses tell us. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has asked to have you all so that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers." There's a lot contained in just those two short verses here as well. There's a lot of context that we've come to know from reading through the Passion history, that whole account of what the Bible tells us about what happened that night and in the couple days following. There's a lot to it, but it's summed up pretty nicely for us by this theme, Satan has asked to sift you all. This was the warning that came from Jesus to Peter, as we've already said. But let's acknowledge that it's pretty telling that Jesus doesn't call him Peter in this instance. He calls him by his given name, Simon. His old name, 
if you will. Peter had become this man's name because Jesus gave him that name. And Jesus gave him that name based on the bold confession that Peter had made that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus said, that is the, the bedrock foundation on which his church would be built, his church that nothing could possibly overcome. And so because of that bedrock confession of faith, he called this man Peter, a name referring to a, a stone. But Jesus didn't address the bold confessor Peter in this situation. He called him Simon. And he warned Simon that Satan had asked to sift him. Well, what did that mean? That Satan wanted to sift the disciples as wheat. I hear the word sift. Maybe you do too. And you think about baking. Baking a cake, sifting flour through a, a fine mesh in order to uh, prepare it for the, for the dough. But that's not what's being discussed here. And Jesus is not referring to the winnowing process where the wheat would be tossed up in the air so that the, the wind could blow the chaff away and the, the heavier wheat would land back on the ground. No, this sifting process would have taken that same wheat and, and put it in a sieve and, and shaken it, shaken it to knock all the dirt, all the dust off of it, to remove from that wheat anything that wasn't wheat, perhaps some pieces of plant or small stones, to leave behind just the valuable wheat. So what was Satan asking to do? Like shaking, like sifting that wheat, Satan was asking to shake Peter. He wanted to shake Peter away from Jesus. He wanted to shake Peter's soul in the hopes of dragging that soul to hell. And not just Peter. Satan had asked to sift all of the disciples as wheat, to shake them all. And we know that there were some particulars uh, about Peter's shaking. In fact, Jesus goes from the verses before us tonight into a warning for Peter about what was going to happen that very night. He was going to disown, he was going to deny Jesus three times. And we know that it turned out just as Jesus warned. That tells us something too, doesn't it? If Satan had asked to sift and then Peter was shaken in this way, that means that Jesus gave permission to Satan to do what he had asked. Maybe that makes you think of the first part of the book of Job. We hear about that unique story, the, how Satan comes before God's throne and asks that he might tempt test God's servant Job, might make his life absolutely miserable. 
and God says, okay, he allows it. And God allowed in the Passion history for, for Peter to face the accusations of people who insisted, you were with that guy, Jesus, the one who's now on trial. You were there for his arrest. You even talk like a Galilean. There's no mistaking it. The insinuation was that, well, maybe Peter should be on trial too. Maybe he should at least be a suspect. And those words shook Peter. He was on the spot. He was in the spotlight, and he had a, he had a choice to make. He could, on the one hand, tell the truth about his relationship, his close relationship with that man whose life had just been turned upside down, who had been arrested, who was on trial at that very moment. Or Peter could try to save his own skin. He could try to distance himself from Jesus. He could lie and say he didn't even know that man. He had never met him. In fact, he didn't even know what those people were talking about. And when Peter chose that second choice, Satan shook him again. See, before that, Satan had been whispering in Peter's ear, of course you should save yourself. It would be foolish for you to tell people that you're with Jesus at this point in time. The only sensible thing is to get as far away from him as possible. And then when Peter listened, Satan whispered something else. He said, how dare you? How do you expect Jesus to forgive you? After all, he warned you that this is what was going to happen and that's exactly what you did. How would anybody forgive you? And the violence of that second accusation may have been even worse than the first temptation. And doesn't Satan do the exact same thing in our lives? Oh, he, he constantly offers us temptations. It's not going to be a big deal to look at a picture, even if it makes you feel a little nervous. What harm does it do if some lustful thoughts rest in our mind? What harm does it do if we miss church this time or two? After all, I've got important things to do or I need my sleep. What does it hurt if I tell a little white lie or if I make somebody else deal with a situation that I just don't feel like dealing with? Why is it a problem if I insist on having my own way, my personal preference? After all, I feel like I've earned it, like I've deserved it. And then when we fall, Satan turns around and he shakes us with guilt. We feel that shaking in other ways too. We feel the shaking when our lives come into crisis. When we've done everything we can think of to do to keep ourselves safe and healthy, 
and to escape and avoid death, and yet sickness comes anyway, or death comes near to us or someone we love, Satan is shaking us. A relationship falls apart. Our finances are tighter than they were before, maybe tighter than they've ever been before. A loved one is called to, to fight in a place where real bullets and real bombs are flying. Do we trust in God? Or do we let our faith be shaken until it disappears? Might make us wonder, why in the world... If Satan had to ask permission to do this, why in the world was that permission granted? We can't possibly know all of the things that our God takes into account as he makes decisions about what to allow into the lives of his people. But we can see this. Far too often, Peter's confidence was in Peter. After all, he had walked on water. Peter himself said to Jesus that even if all the other disciples were to walk away from him, not Peter. He wasn't going to do it. He didn't believe Jesus when he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times. So God actually used the, the shaking that Satan had inflicted to shake Peter's confidence in himself. And he shook Peter until Peter was in tears. And that's where we need to join Peter. We need to be shaken away from our self-confidence away from our sinful pride and haughtiness, away from all of that until there's just one choice to rely on Jesus. And that's someone we can rely on. Satan had tried to sift Jesus too. Can you think of someone who had more torture and pain than Jesus did? Someone who was put into more unfair circumstances than he was? You heard the Passion history for tonight. Pilate himself said, I found nothing wrong with him, but I'm going to have him beaten and flogged anyway. And yet Jesus never wavered, and he never faltered, he was never shaken. We can have absolute confidence. We can have absolute confidence not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And as powerful as Satan may be, Jesus is stronger. Simon Peter and the other disciples could only be shaken with Jesus' permission. And that shaking only happened with Jesus' prayer as well. Sure, we know, we realize that Jesus allowed this. We know that Jesus was in control to, to both keep Satan in check and to accomplish his, Jesus's, God's good purposes from 
the violent temptations that Satan brought. And so even before any of this sifting took place, this is what Jesus said to Simon Peter. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. These words of Jesus anticipated Peter's repentance. He would look not to himself to to figure out, how can I get myself out of this circumstance? How can I get myself out of this despair that I'm facing? No, he would finally, he would ultimately look to Jesus. He would confess how wretched his sin had been and truly was. And he would affirm what a gracious Savior he had, one who would die even for someone who had just denied him. Jesus prayed that Simon Peter's faith would not fail. It may have seemed for a short time as though Peter's faith had failed. But his faith didn't fail because ultimately he knew the the proper object for that faith, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who knew that his prayer would be answered, directed Peter to strengthen the others. Christ anticipated Peter's repentance, and he also invited his leadership. The other disciples were going to need strengthening too. They would need to have their faith focused on Jesus again and again. Yes, they would all run away when their Savior and their teacher was snatched away from them and when he was executed on the cross. But for them, that was just the beginning. Because almost to a man, every single one of them was going to face persecution and hardship all the way to the point of death. And along with these brothers of his, Peter was an important pillar in the early Christian church. He wrote letters, he wrote epistles by God's inspiration that reflect a a loving humility, a humility that would have seemed out of place had it not been for this sifting Peter had gone through. God used the sifting that Satan inflicted to accomplish good for Peter and for many others as well. And no doubt he prays the same for us. He gives no promises that in this world our lives will be secure or free from trouble. We ought to expect sifting and shaking. We ought to be humble enough to know that we might fall. And what does Jesus want for us? He prays that even though we fall into sin, our faith may not fail. He prays that that faith would still be rooted in Him, that we would be brought to repentance. He prays that we would see His cross as the payment for our sins, that we would see His empty tomb as the guarantee and the promise that our graves will one day be empty too.
And he prays that we would be renewed to serve others. We have faced challenges so that we can help others who face challenges. We have learned how frail we are so that we can encourage others to rely on someone much stronger. We have been shaken so that we know where to turn when we are shaken and so that we can direct others to that very same Savior. When Satan's sifting comes into your lives, and it almost certainly will, know that it must come only with Christ's permission. Know that you are supported by Christ's prayer. You know Christ's power. Have confidence that He will use all the difficulties and all the challenges of your lives to draw you closer to Him and to His Word. Have confidence that He will draw you and keep you close to Him forever. Amen.